0: To the UNT BSM audio resources. If you want more information on the BSM, you can go to untbsm.com. Thanks for listening. Uh, hey, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Chase Jacobs. I work here. Uh, glad that you are here tonight. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up to the book of Philippians, which is on page. Uh, anybody got it? In the little white Bibles. Do we have a page number? 517? 570. 570. It's near the back of your Bible. We're going to be studying through the book of Philippians this whole semester. Yeah, so get used to it. Philippians is an amazing book. It's one of my favorite books in the New Testament, in the whole Bible, really. I mean, but it's kind of everybody's favorite. It's a great book. So as you get familiar with it, I think you'll fall in love with it, too, if you haven't read it before. Um, Do you ever eavesdrop? on other people you know you're not supposed to you all do everybody does it right and sometimes you can't help it you know you ever like so so a while ago i was at big mics well it's not big mics anymore what is it now aura. aura Aura coffee up the street um i was sitting at big mics it'll always be big mics uh i was sitting at big mics and i was working on some i was getting some stuff done and i forgot my headphones has that ever happened to you You have to have headphones to work at big mics. It's just, it's terrible. And so I'm sitting, because the tables are right next to each other, and this, this couple sits down at the table next to me, and it's very obvious that it's their first date, okay? And I don't have headphones. I am so distracted. It was so, it was, so I'm sitting there, and I'm pretending like I'm working. I'm just typing F over and over because I'm listening to it. It was so, and it was so sweet, y'all, because they were like, they both were very happy to be on a date together. Like, it wasn't like, you know, one person just said, okay, fine. Like, they were both really into each other, but it was so awkward, and it was so cute, because they didn't know what to say or what they were doing. And like, every probably five minutes, the guy would just resort to gushing, and he would just talk about how wonderful he thought she was, and that he was so glad that she came to get coffee with him, and that he just thought she was so great. And it was so awkward, because what do you say to that? You know, so she was just like, "Oh, thanks." It was so fun. So I'm like trying to send emails, and I'm just listening. So this letter, the Book of Philippians, it's a letter. If this is us eavesdropping on a conversation, on a relationship that that someone has with someone else, so you can see that if you look at chapter one, verse one of the Book of Philippians. Okay, that if you're if you're not used to reading the Bible, the chapters are the big numbers. Say. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, in the first century, when you wrote a letter, you signed it at the very top, which I think is much more convenient than writing your name at the bottom. And you're like, who's this letter from? Oh, okay. So this is who the letter's from. Paul. It's really from Paul, but Timothy is another guy that's with him. And then in the next line is who it's to. So it says, to all the saints, which just means Christians, to all the Christians in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. So this is a letter from Paul to this church that is in the city of Philippi, to all of the saints there, to all of the members there, and to all of the overseers and deacons, or the pastors and the deacons that are at that church. So this is the church, if you were here last week, this is the church that we saw get started. That Stephanie read from in the book of Acts. Okay, so this is a church that started with Lydia and with that little slave girl and with the jailer. Okay, the church has grown a little bit. So it's a, it's a big local church with pastors, and Paul is writing this letter to them. But this, this letter is the overflow of the relationship that they have with each other. And we're listening in as one's talking to the other. So the obvious question, first of all, is, so what does this have to do with me? Okay, if this is a letter from Paul to this church, I thought the Bible was supposed to be for me. I thought I was supposed to hear what God is saying to me from the Bible. Well, Well, that is, but that's not exactly how it works. Okay, the Bible, everything in the Bible is written for a reason. It has a context around it. It had a purpose. And so God, this is the way the Bible works, is that God was working by his Holy Spirit in those circumstances and through those words to say words that had divine power that spoke well beyond the circumstances that it was written for. And so it does apply to us, it does pertain to us, but as we are reading the Bible, we have to first understand the original context and what was going on, and then we can understand how God is speaking through that context, which is just crazy, it was 2,000 years ago, and yet the living God is speaking through those words even now, right now, to you. Isn't that cool? So I want us to understand what's going on in the context, because like I said, this is, this is really, as we're going to look through this first paragraph, just Paul gushing, This is Paul talking about how much he loves this church, how grateful he is for this church and everything that's going on. And we know that as Paul is talking about how much he loves this church, that it assumes that the church loves Paul the same way. And so there's just all this love flying around between Paul and this group of people. But what that really means, and as you're going to see, we've called this this semester study Citizens of heaven. And we're going to get more into that in later chapters. But what I, what that really means is that everything that is happening in the life of the church, in the life of people, saints in Christ Jesus relating to one another, everything that is happening in the church is really a reflection of what's going on in heaven. And so as we're going to dive into this and we're going to see the love that Paul has for this church and the church has for Paul, what we're really going to see is that love is a result of and a reflection of the love that God has for for all the church, not just the church of Philippi, but everybody that would believe in Jesus, and really, that's a love that God has in and of Himself. Okay, God is love, and so this love that we're seeing manifested in the church in Philippi is really a reflection of what's happening in heaven, which is which is just divine love. Okay, so let's look into these first uh, this first paragraph, and let's see. Just you can hear the language of love that's going through. I'm going to read all the way through the verse 11, starting in verse two. So Paul says, "Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ." that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's the word of God. Amen? Amen. So like I said, these words, what we sing, this love that they have for one another is a reflection of God's love. So as we're studying in this, what I really want us to see, there's a lot of other things that we could pull out of this, but what I really want us to, to learn about God's love in this is three things. Okay, first, that God's love is joyful. And secondly, that God's love is generous. And then lastly, that God's love perseveres. Okay, so God's love is joyful, God's love is generous, and God's love perseveres. So we will see their love looking like that, and then we will learn about God's love from that. You tracking with me? Yes, that was a Matt Chandler joke. Nobody got it. Okay, verse 3. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you making my prayer with joy. God's love is joyful. He says that he keeps remembering them. He keeps thinking about them. And just thinking about them causes him to well up with joy. Now, that's pretty amazing, okay? Because there are probably some people in your life that you say, yeah, this person, they bring me joy. But what's amazing that Paul says that they bring him joy, that he has so much joy in this moment, is because we know when he is writing this letter, he's in jail. He's in jail, and yet his relationship with this church causes him to have joy. We saw last week Paul was in jail. Okay? He's in jail a lot. This isn't the last time that he gets thrown in jail. Okay? And remember the last time he was in jail, he was singing. He had joy. Well, this time he is in jail again, and he's saying, hey, you know what? Even though I'm in jail, when I think of you guys, you guys give me joy. Why do they give him joy? Well... Because they remembered him while he was in jail. That's really the context of this, is that they have continued to love him. And they have let him know, they're ministering to him, even though he's in jail. They're like, Paul, you're not alone. We love you. And that, for him, is a source of joy. So God's love causes joy. And then, in the same way, we know that the Philippians have joy in Paul's love for them. Why? Why are they so willing to love Paul? Well, it was Paul that came and brought them the gospel in the first place. So they love Paul, and Paul's love for them is a source of joy for them, because if it wasn't for Paul, then they wouldn't have known about God's love in the first place. So there's just all this joy that God has put them together and made them able to love one another. But really, that joy is rooted in their love for God. Now, this is, a, this is amazing. Philippians is a book that Paul wrote in jail, and yet he talks about joy and rejoicing more than he does in any other book. Okay? In four chapters, he talks about joy 16 times. While he's in jail. Okay? I don't know how many of you even think about joy when you've got a test the next day. Okay? But Paul is overflowing with joy. But the word joy is in the the book 16 times. You know what? The word Christ is in the book 50 times. So joy and Christ are connected. They have joy because Paul brought them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of, their, because of the gospel, they have been forgiven of their sins, and that gives them joy. Why was Paul able to sing in jail the last time? Because his sins were forgiven. He knew that no matter what happened to him, he had a relationship with God, and so that caused him to overflow with joy. So they know that they are loved by God, that God has made a way for them to be loved, and then that love is just overflowing with joy for everyone. Everybody's joyful. Isn't it beautiful? God's love is joyful. But here's the coolest part. Because okay, not only is God's love going out into this church and causing them to fill up with joy, and not only are they loving each other as an overflow of that love, and that love that they overflow to each other is a source for joy, but you know what? They direct their love back to God. Okay? That's, what we, that's what worship is, is directing your love back to God. And you know what happens as we direct our love back to God? God feels joy in us. This was the thing that was just getting to me when I was, when I was studying this this week. I was looking in John chapter 17. You don't have to turn there. But in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying. He's praying to God for these disciples that are with him. And he says, Father, you know what my prayer is? You know what I really want? I desire that all of these disciples, when I go to heaven to be with you, that they would come and be with me too. I desire that they would be with me. Now, don't miss that. Because I don't know what you think about when you think about God. You know, usually when you, when you pray to God, you kind of picture God having a look on his face, right? Having kind of emotion directed towards you. And if I'm honest, a lot of times when I think about God and how God thinks about me, I think God, if anything at best, is tolerating me. Usually he's a little disappointed with me. But I was reading that, and I was reading John said, I, I won't lie, I started crying. Because Jesus is saying, I want you to be with me. I want to I live together. I want to spend time together. I I delight in you. I get joy out of you. Isn't that amazing? So not only is God loving us and it gives us joy, but God gets joy in us. That's why Hebrews chapter 12, these are some of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Despising the shame. Look to Jesus who for joy, for the reason of joy. Endured the cross, despising the shame. What is that saying? Because the whole way that we have this love, we experience this love of God. Is because God sent his son to die for us. Okay, you know that, you've heard that. That Jesus died for our sins? Is there some kind of alert? Is there a tornado? Amber, gosh darn it. Now everybody's funny. You know you can turn that off, right? All right. I'm going to back it up. That's the devil. Okay? That's the devil. Let me read these verses again. This is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Because if you get this, if you don't believe anything else, believe this tonight. And this will change your whole life. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It says, Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Okay? Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Jesus died so that we could have our sins atoned for, that we could be forgiven of our sins. Now, dying on a cross is not good. It's the worst way that you could die. Is it says that there is, it's the most shameful way that you can die. It's the scariest way that you can die. It's one of the most painful ways that you could die. So Jesus was looking at the cross. He knew it was coming. But you know what he said? He said, if I endure the cross, then I can have my joy. If I go through the cross, then I get the thing that will give me the most joy in the whole world. And you know what that was? You. That's why Jesus died. Because you make him happy. Isn't that good news? But that brings us to our second point. God's love is generous. Okay? God's love is generous. Jesus gave up his whole life to love you. And that's the love that we see portrayed in this book of Philippians. I'm going to plow through it. Just ignore it. Okay? Okay? Verse 5, look at what he says. He says, I'm thankful for you in verse 5 because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. What he's specifically talking about is that the Philippian church sent him money. We're going to find out more about this in chapter 4. This is what's going on. He alludes to it in verses 7 and 8. He says, It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers or participants with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. So he's in prison. If you're in prison in a first century Roman jail, you had to pay your own way. Doesn't that suck? There were no taxes for it, okay? You just had to... um, find somehow to pay for it, or they were going to put you in worse and worse conditions. So Paul is staying in a house, and he needs people to give him money. And so the Philippian church went around, and they took a collection, and they sent this money to Paul so that he can have food and clothes and be taken care of while he's in jail. And so the the whole reason this letter was written was Paul to write them back and say, thank you. So they went around, and now we remember last week we saw Lydia. Lydia was part of the Philippian church. She was rich, okay? So she gave some money very generously but we also saw the little slave girl in the Philippian church well she didn't have anything but what we get is this feeling that they all gave according to what they could they all dug deep because they knew that Paul was in need and that God's love is generous and so they should be loving in a way that's not just in feeling not just a feeling of warmth and gratefulness and affection that's not really love but love is active And they said, we love you, Paul, and you're in need. And so we're going to give from what we have so that you can be taken care of. But again, why did they do that? Because Paul did the same thing for them, didn't he? When Paul came and brought them the gospel, he was risking his neck. He risked his freedom. He got thrown in jail because he was sharing the gospel with them. And he's thrown in jail now because he was sharing the gospel with other people. So they can see in Paul, Paul willingly giving up his freedoms, willingly giving up his whole life and his time and, and anything else that he's doing so that he can share the gospel with other people. So God, Paul is loving with a generous kind of love because God's love is generous. And we see the the, the whole point of this book really it gets explained in chapter 2. Just flip over there in chapter 2, verse 5. This is the reason that they're all being so generous towards one another. Again, because it's a reflection of the way that God loves. Look at verse 5. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is what that's saying. God is God. Jesus was God. He was in heaven. He had everything. And he was entitled to everything. But he didn't count that his. But he was generous with it. He gave it up. Why? So that he could die on the cross for us. For the joy set before him. And set us free from our sins. That Jesus was God. But he didn't hold on to it. He gave it away. Because God's love is generous. And if God gave his very son. His very life. So that we could have life then we are to love generously. And we see that that's the love that Paul and the Philippians have. But look back in verse 5 of chapter 2. Do you see that? It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. It says, have the same mind. Do you have the same mind as Christ? Are you generous with your love? Because, you know, that's especially when I'm in college, I hear people talk about love quite a bit. I even hear people say, God is love all the time to me. Like, I don't know that. Like, people argue with me. It's like, man, you shouldn't do this. God is love. I know God is love. And I know that love is not just a feeling. Love is not just staying off of people's toes. Love is not just tolerating everybody. That's not love. Love is giving of yourself for the good of somebody else. Being generous. So so are you? Are you generous with your money, the way the Philippians were? And I know you guys are in college, so you feel like you, you don't have any money. Okay? But do you hold on to your money? Do you count that? This is mine. It's, I need it. I have to have it. Nobody else. Or are you generous with your money? Do you see your money as a means of blessing other people? That God has given it to you, not for it to stop with you, but for it to go to someone else for their good. Those of you that are Christians, are you generous with your money at your church? Okay? Because you know that's a way that you love. That's a way that you love your church. The same way that Paul came to the Philippians and he taught them and he spent his life with them and he shared the gospel with them. Your pastors at your church do that to you. They spend hours and hours and hours a week loving you generously, sacrificing their time and what they're doing for your good, for your spiritual good. That's an act of love to them, to to you. And the way that you love them back, one of the ways that you love them back is you give an offering so that they can have money to feed their families and be freed up to keep doing that job. So that's a way that you love generously with your money. Do you love generously with your time? Or do you feel like your time is precious? You've got to get your projects done. You've got to get your homework done. You've got to watch this show because you just need some me time. Or do you see your time as interruptible? Do you see your time as something that can be given away for somebody else's good? Maybe they need to be encouraged. Maybe they need to have somebody with them. Maybe they need to hear the gospel. So do you view your time? Do you love in a way that risks? That risks your reputation? That risks your parents' approval? That risks your career opportunities? Do you love in a way that you're willing to give up for the good of somebody else? Because that's the kind of love that Jesus has loved us with. Because God's love is generous and he's calling us to the same love. So how are you doing? Because I'm very convicted by all of that. I know I don't have the mind of Christ. Even when I was getting through this, I was like, man, I am just so selfish. And here's the crazy thing. Because okay? I, I don't love people the way that, that God has loved me in Christ. And, and I haven't. And I'm trying to be better about it. But, but I am definitely not winning in this department. And that's the crazy thing about God's generous love is that even though I have failed so often to be who God wants me to be, God still loves me. Even though I didn't deserve it and even a a cursory look at how poorly I love other people would condemn me to hell forever, even still, in spite of that, God has loved me. Because a generous love is not a conditional love. It's not a love that you earn. God is just Loved me, and he loves you, and you can't you can't mess that up. So that gets to our last point: God's love perseveres. Look at verse six. He says, "I am sure of this: that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ." I am sure of this: that he who started a good work in you back in Acts will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do you know what a fair weather fan is? Yeah. It's like a, it's like a fan that when their team's doing good, their team, when a team is doing good and everybody else thinks they're super cool, they jump on that team. You know, like every every Cowboys fan there is. You know who are not fair weather fans? Cubs fans. My grandpa is a big-time Cubs fan, and my grandpa's like 70-something. So that means for 70 years, he was a Cubs fan, and they never won a World Series. Can you believe that? Yeah. But Cubs fans, that's that's a fan, okay? Because no matter how the Cubs are doing, they got the shirt on. And no matter how the Cubs are doing, they're they're defending them on social media. Like, this is the best baseball team. This is our year. We're going to make it, okay? And they're buying the tickets to go to the games. And they're always, I mean, they're just indomitable, okay? They're, They're persevering fans no matter what. And this last year, it finally paid off for them. They finally won the World Series after 108 years of losing. Can you believe that? 108 years. It's like, well, I don't even know why the Cubs kept playing. <laughs> but the fans were there. And how sweet was that victory? Okay. I, had, <laughs> I have another friend. He was an old pastor of mine. He's, a big, he's from Chicago. He's a big-time Cubs fan. And a month later, he, he got back on Facebook. and he said, I just wanted to say again the Cubs won the World Series. <laughs> okay. They are, they are soaking in it. And, and it's even sweeter because it was a persevering kind of love. Here's what I'm saying. God is like a Cubs fan. In the way that he loves you. Only you're an even bigger loser. <laughs> okay? We all fail. And, and we would be shocked if we really came to a true appreciation of how, of, of how bad we really were. But no matter how bad we are, God is still for us. God still has your name written on his hands. God says, no matter what you do, I love you. No matter what you do, I am for you. No matter what you do, I'm going to help you. No matter what you do, I am with you. That's what Paul is saying in verse 6. I am sure of this, that if God started a good work in, in you, he's not going to leave you. He's not going to let you go. He's not going to jump off your team until that day that he brings it to completion. There's nothing that you can do to separate yourself from God. There's no, no amount of failure. If you are truly God's, if God really loves you and you really love God, then it cannot go away. And if that's how God loves us, then that's the same way that we are to love each other. And that's what we see happening in this Philippian church. That the Philippians love Paul with a persevering kind of love. Because Paul's in jail. That's very embarrassing to be associated with somebody that got in trouble like that. Actually, it's very dangerous probably for them to be associated with somebody that's a criminal. And so they could very easily just say, forget about Paul. Paul who? But they said, no, even though it risks our reputation, even though it might risk our own freedom, Paul, we are still with you. We are going to love you through to the end. And Paul, in his way, has a persevering love for the Philippian church. And I love this. Look at verse 9. He says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Let me stop. Okay, Paul is in jail. Paul is in jail, and yet we just said that love is an active, generous kind of love. Well, how is he going to love them active and generously from a jail cell? He can't do anything but what he's doing, praying. This is my prayer. Guys, I don't know if you think about that. Prayer is one of the most active, generous things that you can do. To give up your time to pray for somebody. Because you know prayer does stuff, right? And to pray for other people, not just to pray for yourself, but to pray for other people, that actually accomplishes things. What a service that you can do. That Paul is saying, I'm going to pray for you. I can't, I can't send you any money. I can't give you a whole lot of my time. I can't help you clean up your backyard, but I can pray for you. And so that's what he's doing. He says, This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Pray that, pray those verses. If you have nothing else to pray, just pray that. Open up these, highlight these, underline these, and just go through everybody in your connect group. Write down their name. And this week, say, I'm going to pray these things. God, I pray for so and so that their love would abound more and more, that they would be more loving. That they would have more knowledge and discernment. God, I pray that they would approve what is excellent. I pray that they would be pure and blameless. Pray that for me, please. Okay, I need this. Pray that for me. But do you see what he says? That he's praying for them. And he says, I'm praying these things for you. That you will be pure and blameless. In verse 10, for the day of Christ Jesus. So he's saying, I'm praying for you. That you will make it all the way to the end. That's what he's saying. Same way the Cubs, were praying, the Cubs fans were praying for their team, that they could make it all the way to the World Series, that they could win. Paul is saying, I'm praying for you, Philippians, that you will make it all the way to the end, that you will be pure and blameless. That's my prayer, and that's a persevering love. We're not done until we're all in heaven. My pastor likes to say that the church is an assurance of salvation co-op. Let me tell you what that means, okay? It means contrary to the way that we usually think about Christianity in individual terms, that it's about my personal relationship with Jesus. It's about me and my time with God. It's about my worship experience. It's about the way that I like to approach the Bible. Instead of it being about me and my and this individualized relationship with God, which I hate to break it to you, is never how the Bible talks about it. Instead, what the church is is a community. Are you a part of a community like that? This joy-giving, generous, persevering community. Are you a part of a church? Because if you're not, you are missing out on the joy that Paul has and that the Philippians have. Okay, and when I say are you a part of a church, what I don't mean is do you attend a church? Because a lot of times I talk to people and they're very frustrated. They've never found a church that really feels like family. they never found a church that really feels like they love them. And I ask them what their involvement in that church looks like. And they say, well, I showed up every Sunday. And so you're expecting everybody to love you when you haven't endeavored to love anybody else in that church? Well, of course you're not experiencing this. But if you press in, if you give yourself wholly and fully to a church and you say, I'm going to love them, And that doesn't mean just serving, joining the greeting team, okay? I mean, I'm going to actually love people in my church. I'm going to get to know them and know what their needs are and spend time with them. I'm going to get in community with them. I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to spend time praying for each other. But if you actually invest yourself in a church and love them, you know what's going to happen? You will feel love back. You know how I can say that? Because the Bible says that's what the church is. Does that mean the church is perfect? No. You're all sinners, But the church is a community of people that have received grace and peace in Jesus Christ. They have been loved by God. And God is loving through them. If it's a true church, that love will overflow. But you have to press into it as much as everybody else is. And if you do, you will know this. And the whole goal of that church, the whole goal of all of these Christians being together, is that you are all trying to help each other reach the end. You are ensuring that one another gets saved. Because just like I said, God's never going to let you go. But he uses other people to keep to make that happen. He uses the church to make that happen. God's persevering love works through the church. So if you're not in a church, then you're in danger. And you're missing out on all of this love. You're missing out on all of this joy. You're missing out on all of this generosity. And so our hope now is as we close out of this time that you guys would go into these connect groups and you would get to do this. You would get to find joy in one another. You get to give to one another. You would get to help one another all the way through to the end. But please don't just do it tonight. And please don't just do it with the BSM. Okay, but press into this community that God has saved us into. Just like Paul has, just like the Philippians have. Okay, let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the time that we get to... Um, to learn about the way you have loved us. God, we do have every reason to be joyful in you. And yet you are joyful in us. That's amazing. God, I pray that just like you gave your, your son, Jesus, you gave your life, that we could have salvation. God, I pray that we would give of what we have for the good of other people. And God, I pray that we wouldn't tire of doing good, but that you would help us to be like you are. You never quit. You never give up. You never let wrongs get in the way of your love. And so I pray that we would love other people that way. I pray that our time together tonight would encourage us to that end. I pray that you would be glorified in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.